Welcome to another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership. I'm your host, IDP for Isaiah Jerome III. Tonight's panelists are Montez Jones, Dr. Angelus Ortiz, Dr. Maricela Jimenez. Please, Dr. MJ, please say hello to the people. Good evening, audience. Buenas noches. And it's a uh, pleasure to be here tonight. And I look forward to sharing some nuggets of information. Absolutely. And Mr. Montez Jones, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone. My name is Montez Jones. It's a pleasure to join Isaiah on this podcast tonight. And I look forward to, to sharing some things with you and hopefully to grow you uh, and grow that seed that Isaiah mentioned before. Wonderful. And Dr. Angelis Ortiz, please say hello to the people. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Isaiah, for having us on. It's uh, such a great new time to, to talk about education, talk about what uh, we're able to provide. And I appreciate you and I appreciate the, the audience listening to us today. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tonight's discussion is one that not only needs to happen, but this topic is so serious that we had to pull from the wisest in the community to talk about it. And that topic is, how will this new administration impact education reform? Social stability is defined as the amount to which a society and its institutions remain predictable and reliable. This is important because it allows participants in society, such as individuals and groups, to plan and conduct their affairs without disruption. Lawmakers have been discussing and negotiating deals to rebuild the nation's infrastructure. They've been doing this for years, but now they are forced and they are hard pressed to make these changes a reality. There is another global school reform awakening upon us. While we race toward the new digital and space age, it may have taken a crisis like this pandemic to get not only the United States, but the world to look at education differently and to bring possibly the United States back to the forefront of education, innovation, and technology. Tonight, we will have a powerful discussion where we will pull from each of the panelists and hear what guidance they have for us to listen to. But that being said, I would like to pull from my first guest, Mr. Montez Jones. Please, Montez, tell the listeners what you're doing currently in the world today, sir. Okay, so I'm, I'm based out of Arlington, Texas, but I, I teach all over the United States right now. Um, so I, I own Tez Jones Training Solutions, and the first part of your question, um, what will the administration do or how will it impact education reform? You know, I, it, each administration, it comes down to trust. And, and the trust that we have in the administration to do the right thing. So I'm not really going to touch too much of the administration and what they will reform, but the second part that you asked me was about mentorship programs. 
And that's really my, my niche and my key because um, for the past year, since, since COVID started, I've been mentoring a high school class uh, here in Arlington at one of the high schools, and it's an avid class. So they're trying to figure out whether they're going to go to college or not. So when we look at mentorship programs, we have to look at who's going to mentor those, those folks, uh, those kids, and then also um, how are we going to mentor those kids? Being a business owner, being a business owner, I hear a lot of corporations say we have a mentor-protege program, but they never teach the mentors how to mentor. And you can go into a school and say, well, I want to be a school mentor, but no one teaches you how to mentor. So when it comes to mentorship programs, I look at who's the mentor, how are they mentoring, and then also um, in, in, in higher education, when we look at higher education, what is the learning styles of those people or those young folks that are going into college? Because let's be honest, when you get into college, and I'm prior military too, so 26-year Air Force veteran, I've been sat in many college, uh, many college seats taking classes. So when I took classes, even though I was an auditory or visual learner, the, the, usually the professor really didn't care. It's I'm going to teach the way I teach, and you have to learn the best way you know how to learn. So once again, that's a mentorship program because those young folks are looking towards that, toward that professor as a mentor because bosses are not just bosses. They're mentors too. You're teaching the next generation how to think, feel, and behave. The other part about this, and, and I'll finish it out, is in order for us to be the number one educated country in the world, we have to stop telling people how to think and teach them how to think. Because all we really do is regurgitate information. That's easy. The brain can take in all this information. You can store it and file it and go back into that file and regurgitate it. But how do we get them back to thinking on their own and creatively thinking to use their imaginations to be able to reform things instead of saying, scaring people with words like conservative, liberal, I'm this, I'm that, and you got to be this, and you have to be that. So when you talk about mentorship programs, look at your young folks. I appreciate it. No, we appreciate you. That, you know, Mr. Jones, you always have a smooth, smooth response. I've seen you at a lot of your workshops, not just on only on social media. I've seen you working um, for the, the Veterans Affairs, uh, high schools, um, even in the uh, workplace sector. I think you've worked and you've spoken at uh, airports. And the reason why people, and the reason why you're so sought after is not just because you, you work alongside John Maxwell. And I know you are one of his go-to guys. But it's, it's the way you can take a, a complex issue, a complex topic, and not only mix it with uh, compassion and love, but also mix it with empowerment 
also mix it with support while being constructive. I heard a lot of support from what you said as it relates to emotional support, as it relates to care, acceptance, uh, not just from uh, the individual inside, but from um, the surrounding environment. How to pull young people together in an environment, right? And, and I heard that, and that's it's very essential. Not only is it essential uh, for youth development, but it's also essential for family support. It's also essential for adult relationships. Um, and in the, the empowerment aspect, I, I heard contribution. And contribution not only to uh, a school or, or education, but also civic involvement, also a community contribution. Uh, also giving your community value by training uh, youth focused on what resources are available what resources are available and and the way you you talked about that showed that there was no limits if if the united states is going to become uh the forefront of education then we have to release the boundaries and, the, and those expectations of a cookie cutter uh education system we have to redefine this society we have to redefine education we have to redefine uh, the image of a young person. We have to redefine their image by letting them imagine who they want to be. I mean, they see brands all the time, like Nike, like uh, Reeboks, like the NBA. They see all they see all these brands, but they could be the next brand, right? Um, I heard a great speaker. He's one of he, he's my pastor, uh, and, and I think your pastor as well. But Bishop T.D. Jakes. He said the word imagination. No, go ahead. That's what oh, I, was, okay, I was okay. saying. Absolutely. Yeah, on this. Oh, <laughs> he, he said the word imagination. And he, you know how Bishop is. He's so clever with his words. And he unpacked that word and he said it really is a nation of images. And so we have to, like you said, we have to teach children how to develop their nation which is their sales. So that's reflection. Right. But that, that is, and, and when Bishop, Bishop said that, but um, I've been mentoring for so long, he says a nation of images, I say it's the image in your nation. So, because what we do with, what we do with ideas, a new idea comes into your mind and, and nine times out of 10, you automatically abort it. Because you're looking at the, and, and our kids do this, our kids do not do this, but they learn how to do this. Because when a kid is a kid, they use so much imagination, they say, they look up at the stars and say, I, I want to go there one day. But as they go through our educational system, someone teaches them or tells them, especially, and most of the time minority kids, you can't do that and they don't tell them why but we know the underlying reasons why so they kill that imagination so our mind and then our adults what we do as adults is we have a dream and then we have a kid <laughs> and then the dream just goes left or right whichever one you go but our dream we adults stop dreaming 
because they take on the dreams of, a, of, of their children. I gotta do better for my child so I can pursue my dream. But that imagination, if we can get them to hold that image in their mind and get it to their subconscious mind so it can take root and grow, then that image stays in them, in their nation, for it to take that seed and take root and grow. Most adults, ask an adult one day, what's your dream? Especially if they have kids, they'll be like, I don't know. Or, uh, shoot, I aborted my dream when I had a kid. That's when it usually goes. But some, some, now, some adults still dream. But with that, when you're looking at mentorship, you have to prepare the mentors to be mentors to expose folks to great people. One of the things I did for uh, that class that I mentored is I brought in Fasanda Duckett. She used to be the CEO of, of, uh, of Chase. She's now moving to uh, TD, not TD Ameritrade, but another place. She's moving to another place. But she came in on Zoom and spoke to the kids. I exposed them to the CEO of Chase. They didn't know what to think. It was like, whoa, yeah. So that exposure helped them, and they're still talking about that. This discussion tonight is so valuable. It's so valuable, and we just started it. We just start, we just start speaking. It's gonna get better. <laughs> and you know, Mr. Jones, that's a perfect transition to our next uh, guest, our next panelist. I'm sure you knew that. <laughs> uh, by the by the way, let me let me put this out there, uh, Mr. Jones. I'm I'm taking uh, one of his one of his many classes, and the way he breaks down public speaking is a wonder it is an absolute wonder the way this man teaches and um, the students because i'm one of his students they love him so you got to go check him out too but with that being said our next panelist is dr angelis ortiz and, and so i'm gonna ask you a question too but before i ask you a question i want you to tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently Great. Um, yes, thank you again for, for having me. Um, I am a professor, an adjunct professor at a couple of uh, CSUs at the California State Universities here in the, the LA area in the Department of Social Work. My, my field has been primarily uh, social work and education, and uh, I also uh, have, a, a, along with a business partner, a consulting firm where we support uh, small to mid-sized nonprofits to make sure that they're stable, make sure that they're fiscally viable and they're ready to compete with these larger orgs that are around in the, in the LA County area and, and beyond. Um, so lately I've just been trying to support either leaders of color, students of color, get to their next career level. Well, this is perfect for this discussion because that means you've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of good, but you've also seen a lot of bad. And so you have to be committed to do the type of job that you do. You have to be disciplined and you have to be very organized. With that being said, my question for you, Dr. Ortiz, is 
what are some resiliency tools that parents, educational institutions can, can use to work together collectively uh, that will bridge the needs of students while safeguarding the educational system during and after this pandemic episode? Great, that's, that's a great question, and, and I, I assume a lot of um, districts and, and states around the, the U.S. are trying to figure that out as, as they're looking to reopen and they're looking to, to do it safely and still have um, family and parent and caregiver involvement in doing so, right? Um, so I could talk from a personal spot, and then I could also talk about what, what I've seen some, some um, organizations do around here in the L.A. area. On the personal side, I... Uh, and my, my wife, we leaned on our strengths, right? Like who, who's better uh, communicator when it comes to dealing with the school? Who's the better uh, math tutor with our girls? And we ended up sort of kind of divvying up the, the role of, of the entire uh, distant learning situation, right? There was, there was a person who could do the tech side. There was a person who could do the um, tutoring piece and the reteaching piece. But we also realized that we were both kind of privileged and, and both able to do such things uh, because of education and our background. And, and in the orgs that we supported, we realized that a lot of families are not in the same boat, right? A lot of families, uh, unfortunately, uh, are not able to, quote unquote, work from home, are not able to uh, take extended time off to focus on their children's uh, distant learning. So first and foremost, acknowledging that the fact that we made it a year thus far, however it occurred, however um, uh, support you were able to figure out, we kind of are, are almost on the other side of this. So acknowledging that, that we've all gone through something, whether you're an experienced educator or whether you're uh, somebody who works the night shifts and has to come in and still be alert enough to, to look at the Zoom and, and look at the distance learning your kids are doing, right? So. Technology is going to be huge on all parts, acknowledging from the district, acknowledging from um, the parents that they did their best, right? There, there's no um, kind of turning back the time of, of, I wish I would have done this, or I could have done that better. But n now it's, it's been set. And with the acknowledgement, hopefully there's a, 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 like a real pulse check, reassessment time of, of what really was learned in this year or, or year and change. And, and what are we really going to hold the youth and, and, and kids accountable, right? Like, are we really going to expect them to do their awesome and uh, their best in the SATs? Are they going to really expect them to do amazing in the state standards that they were expected? Um, so there has to be some, some reassessment and realignment to what people have uh, envisioned that this year was going to look like. And then another tool is just, I, I don't know if we over-communicate with our girls, but, but we just constantly communicate of, okay, what happened today? What was that issue about? How can we fix it for tomorrow? What can we do better next time, right? So we're constantly just kind of pulse checking of what are we doing. And, and that seems to have been working even when we had our good days or bad days, right? Even when we have some days where, I don't want to do this anymore. Please, somebody help. Somebody tag back in. And, and, and we can't because of the pandemic or just support-wise. Um, we just you know, that tomorrow will be another day to try again, right? Tomorrow will be another day to, to figure this out. And, and that's, been, that's been great for, for families that, that uh, are, are folks I work with, but also uh, personally, you know? Uh, and, and ultimately, how do you build some sort of um, 
restorative piece to know that that for the the tons of reasons that people were not able to be successful or were able to be successful. How do you reconcile that as a teacher? How do you reconcile that as a principal administrator to say, wow, out of out of all my three, four hundred, five hundred kids, the youth, it looks like most of these these are are, are not at par, right? I think how do how do we go back to you can't just wash the year away, right? You got to you got to earn what you could out of it, and then how do you move forward? And that's going to be a big task um, overall for, for district schools and, and just the, the entire education system moving forward. Uh, Dr. Ortiz, when you speak, I hear so much passion, so much passion. I, I really hear your heart um, as as you spoke tonight. What I heard from what you spoke from tonight was developing communication skills, establishing and maintaining healthy relationships. And all of this is tied together for developing growth mindsets. And these growth mindsets have to be taught to our, our children, our students, our parents. Because if they have a fixed mindset, then they're not going to be able to get past what happened, the trauma of what happened, the the loss. Because face it, let's face it, we have gone through a traumatic loss. And so we need, we're going to need people like you, educators like you. We're going to need professional developers like Mr. Jones, public speakers like Mr. Jones, to teach our children and, and our students self-determination. We're going to have to develop self-determination moving forward. And, and when we do that, we'll start building on strengths. And we'll start turning these challenges into opportunities. That is the bridge. When we learn to start, I believe, this is my belief, when we start teaching how to turn challenges into opportunities, then we can see growth. Then we can start to see our country rebuilding and reforming back. But it takes acknowledgement. It takes acknowledging there is a problem. That's a perfect transition. Absolutely. And so thank you for bringing so much value to this podcast. That brings me to our next panelist, Dr. Marcella Jimenez. I'll call her Dr. MJ. Dr. MJ, a good friend of mine, uh, her, her and her husband. Please tell us an audience about a little bit about what you're doing now before I answer this question. Okay, well, I know because of the time, so I'm going to summarize, but thank you, Isaiah. I guess you are a dear friend. And uh, currently, I'm doing multiple things, but in context of education, I began uh, summer last year developing a program to help parents and help their children from a specific populations here in Spring, Texas, Harris County, where I live. And what I, I uh, learned from asking to the parents going to grocery stores and, and uh, bakeries and, and the target where those populations visit and asking them questions about their challenges during COVID and um, 
I gathered that preliminary uh, conversations and then developed a survey to survey uh, the other population. And once I collected the preliminary data, I learned uh, and I verified some information. And so here's what happened where in context of the education, that um, the specific populations from those specific demographics got hit the harder. And um, that's, that's where going forward, we need to disrupt. One, we need to recognize who, who are those populations and then intervene in a timely manner. And then uh, three, disrupt the uh, chronic inequalities that we've had. So that's what I'm doing, working locally with my community. And then in addition to that, partnering with a nonprofit organization to help their represented communities that cannot gain gainful employment, and then um, working also to have those uh, opportunities for adults who are uh, underemployed or um, just un unemployed completely and cannot find employment post-COVID. When Dr. MJ speaks, and I've, I've been working with her <laughs> for a few years now. When Dr. MJ speaks, you move. You, you don't ask any questions. <laughs> you don't scratch your head. You move because she knows what she's doing. I, I've seen you put together projects. I've seen you put together events. And from A to Z, they ran smoothly. And we always had a surplus at the end. We always, we never had lack. We always left with more things seemingly than we had to start with. And I think that's a gift that you have from God. Um, I've seen you working with uh, peers, uh, peer groups, families. I've seen you promote uh, greater social um, co cohesiveness. You made everyone feel uh, important, no matter what kind of capita they, they made every year. But you have a gift of developing social networks, and you have a gift of supporting those social networks as well. And so I think this question is tailor-made for you. And my question for you, uh, Dr. MJ, is what are some demands that we need to put in place to ensure all students, educators, communities, and stakeholders are treated fairly during and after this crisis? That's my question. Mm -hmm. um, I reflected on that question and not in just so fairness, just making sure I don't go into the philosophical and then or theoretical, but um, Taking it from a business perspective and human talent development, which is really my, my two uh, fields of work right now, is that I uh, am going to the future, specifically working with alpha generation. And alpha generation is already in the classroom from eight years old to the ones that are going to be born all the way through 2025. The reason I'm bringing that population to the foreground, uh, to the front runners, because the the, the, the narrative currently has to change. So if we're going to implement demands or establish uh, fair treatment, we need to identify um, who are the beneficiaries. Yes, the students, K to 12, and even all the way to college. Um, but of course, educators are teachers and administrators and then communities, parents and 
Let's not forget, of course, the stakeholders. Oftentimes we talk about teachers, administrators, but we leave out board of trustees. Those are public servants. They donate their time and we elect them. And sometimes we don't even know their, you know, their story and why they're serving, but they are great influencers in the curriculum and in, in then how the student learns or, or doesn't learn. They, they cast their, their ballot, right? And so they vote, so they, let's, let's go back to the Department of Education right now. We have a new administration, new leader, um, pending to see what happens, what changes uh, this individual implements. And then we go to Texas. We have Texas Education Agency, right? And then we have the county. Uh, I live in Harris County, so there's Harris County Department of Education. And you go into the city, um, which is Houston, and then all these ISDs. And what I learned after reaching out to the superintendents and talking to their executive teams and, and gathering all this information, even to the board of trustees, everyone has an agenda, right? So the question is, who do we, how do we hold accountable and, and who gets um, held accountable for this demand? Before we establish demands for fair treatment, uh, who and what? And, and so I just go back again, going to the future and say, where are our children going to be 2025, even 2022, even by the end of this year, and then 2030. Uh, so in talking to students, as I'm continually doing this, is, is do you know what um, your future looks like by the time you finish high school? And many times it's no. Do you know what your future looks like when you finish college in the next four years? or two years, and I asked that question to two today, and one is a freshman and the other one is still undecided whether he or she, you know, wants to go to college or not. And she's studying engineering, but she does not know what her future looks like. She um, doesn't have that blueprint. So here's where, if we're going to establish demands uh, for fair treatment post-COVID, I think we do, need, we do need to change the narrative a little bit and then resume with, who are our bread and butter in the education system? Why do we wake up every day? For, for whom do we write a curriculum and show up to the classroom? It's the student. So if we don't have the student as the most fundamental asset that we want to drive uh, transformation and, and reformation and reform the system, and, and we are writing agendas and curriculums with self-interest or opinions of what we think is best, and we don't have the best interest of the students of what the future looks like, and taking a look around the world and see what other uh, countries and leaders are doing, then we will fail them. And that's why I cannot answer the question, what specific demands can we establish or put in place for fair treatment? It begins with, let's review how we treat our students right now by the curriculum we, we uh, teach them, and which is, as it was discussed before, memorization, we measure them with the same rule, uh, the same stick, the same metrics that um, one from a middle class is measured, and then one from an underrepresented community is measured. That's not treating the student fairly. So I think in order to establish um, certain fair treatments, we need to go back to identifying our students by population, 
and then recognizing that they are our bread and butter and they are the ones that we need to focus all our resources and then work from the bottom up which are the students and then that's how we begin to establish fair treatment i hope no i love that no i love that response i love the response and just a heads up uh, we're almost out of time i, I want to ask a question to uh montez jones again but before i do that let me let me give a rebuttal and also also uh, be prepared because I want each panelist to tell a short story of what they've experienced during COVID-19. It could be about a family member, a friend, uh, a news segment. It doesn't matter. But just a short um, a story uh, about what you've experienced during COVID-19. Uh, Dr. MJ, what I heard from you was a lot about, you know, what are the school stakeholders wanting to know as far as uh, policies? Uh your response, we, we got to bring you back because there's just so much more to pull uh, from you uh, as it relates to that question about demands that we're going to be needing to uh, go stand on some tables and, and put our foot down uh, to make things happen so that everyone is treated fairly across the board, especially with this uprising of the attacks on Asian people. I'm not going to go too far to uh, be the path, but I, I want to ask the question to uh, Mr. Jones. But Dr. MJ, thank you so much for bringing and adding value to this podcast. You're welcome, Isaiah. Anytime. Thank you. Absolutely. And with that being said, I want to ask a question to uh, Mr. Jones again, because I, I, I felt your flow and I, I want to direct this question to you. I just want to hear your thoughts about it. Um, the question is, what effects are you seeing with public schools and their virtual classrooms? And how are you seeing a divide or a pro or a con as it relates to diversity and inclusion and in um, equity. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you asking me that question. That's a great question also. I want to make sure that we don't run over time, so give me a time hack if you don't mind. Can you unpack that question in the, between three to five minutes? Yeah, oh, most definitely, most definitely. So the what I see in the public schools uh, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and, and inclusion, is there are not as many um, children in the classroom because it's virtual for the most part. There are some, some kids that did still go to the schoolhouse, but not many. And, and the teachers that I talked to, they tried to contact the students, tried to contact the students' parents, but from we're looking at a year now, so we're a year into basically closing down schools. So how many parents lost their jobs? How many parents do not have that same cell phone number? How many kids don't have that cell phone? Or whatever way they were using to contact those folks, uh, those parents and their, those children. So diversity is equity, to lend into equity, um, Everybody doesn't have the proper internet connection. In Austin, I know they were rolling out huge buses with, um, with broadband on the buses so the children could get on broadband to get into the classroom. So everyone doesn't have that type of connection which causes students a problem. And then plus, 
you know, for our, our elementary, middle, and high schoolers, that's where they socialize. That's where they go and get their rah-rah moment from some of their, some of their friends. Now, yes, yeah, schools, public schools have their problems, but there are a lot of socialization skills that they're picking up in school. Sometimes you can't get that on Zoom or Teams. And I know that as a trainer because I went totally virtual. So instead of having an all-day class sitting in a classroom with adults, I went to 60 to 90-minute sessions with adults. So think of a kid that's sitting on Zoom for hours and hours trying to be entertained by a, a teacher that is overwhelmed because now she or he is trying to teach that. So, so the equity is not there, so it's, it's very difficult to include all your students, especially if they're not there. And the teachers care so much. I, I you know, every time uh, an amendment uh, or something comes up um, that I have to vote for that says, check yes if you want to pay teachers more, I always check yes. Because we found out that the teachers have been superheroes for a long time. Because we have parents that can't stand their kids to be at home all day, but they went they 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 went to the classroom to beat up the teacher because the kid said something. So our parents figured out that they had to be go back to the old school way because our our parents these days have gone to be lawyers instead of being judges. My mom and dad were was a judge. If the teacher said something, I was coming home to a whooping. I was already judged. Parents these days have become lawyers. The teacher says something, they'll go and defend the child. So we, this diversity, equity, and inclusion, when we talk about this, we have to look at it in a way of how can we safely get them back into school so they can do the socialization part? How can we get the teachers comfortable in teaching these classes? And here in Arlington, thank God, they took all the Arlington teachers to go get go get their shot. And now we need to get we need to get the kids vaccinated, and let's get back into schools. There may be a hybrid because this has changed our world. COVID has changed our world, and some 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 kids did learn best uh, online. So we got to look at it as as, as this is this generation's 9-11. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, let's include everybody in there. I knew you had something to say. <laughs> Amen. Now, for the listeners, you see why I'm taking his courses, right? Um, you know, as you were speaking, the one thing that kept popping up in my mind was uh, an excerpt out of this book called The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogman Dingo. And actually, chapter nine is the one that kept resonating with me. If you would bear with me, listening audience, I want to just kind of recite that. <clears throat> well, actually, I want to read it so that you can hear what it says. I want to read it so you can hear what it says. I, I will act now my dreams 
are worthless. My plans are dust. My goals are impossible. All of no value unless they are followed by action. I will act now. Never has there been a map, however carefully executed to detail and scale, which carries its owner over even one inch of ground. Never has there been a parchment of law, however fair, which prevented one crime. Never has there been a scroll, even such as one I hold, which earned so much as a penny or produced a single word of acclamation. Action alone is the tender which ignites the map, the parchment, the scroll, my dreams, my plans, my goals, into a living, a living force. Action is the food and drink which will nourish my success. Action is the food and drink which will nourish my success. I heard a lot of faith in what you said, Mr. Jones. I heard a lot of encouragement in the substance, in the substance that I heard not only will give me hope, but will give the listening audience hope as well. Sir, you have brought hope to this podcast, and I want to thank you for all that you do, and thank you for adding so much value to this podcast. Hey, I thank you so much for, for having me, and I, I greatly appreciate Dr. MJ and, and Dr. Menez um, for uh, allowing me to be on the podcast, because when when you you're on the podcast with two doctors it's either it's either bring it or or, uh, <laughs> or it doesn't happen huh absolutely absolutely and, and with that being said uh who wants to share a story first i would say ladies first oh thank you what a gentleman <laughs> The study, a study related to COVID, Isaiah, just to be clear, is that, is that what you're referring to? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Okay, so I've, uh, you met me and you attended my farewell when uh, departing from DFW into uh, Houston area and upon arriving here, who would have predicted that shortly after we were going to go through COVID. And so we, um, my husband and I, uh, were searching for a home and because of COVID, everything got delayed and and just even shopping for furniture, couldn't go because the stores were, were uh, delayed. And so building relationships, uh, personally, it was such a uh, loss leaving DSW because of my great network of partnerships and great friends like you. And then arriving to Houston and, and starting from ground zero and then COVID and, and then couldn't go anywhere, couldn't not socialize, as you mentioned earlier. I, I do thrive in building networks and meeting people and interacting and connecting and then connecting people to another people. So that was um, really, really hard. Um, and it is finally its first step into moving forward and using uh, virtual technologies to reach out to people and just like this opportunity to reconnect and, and feel alive and feel like, okay, now uh, life is coming back. So that was my personal story about how COVID affected me at that level. 
Thank you for sharing. Who wants to go next? I, I could go over this, okay? Um, you know, I, I had a very humbling sort of year and change, uh, both pro- professionally and personally, um, right around a year or so ago, almost to the date, uh, my team and I got uh, sort of laid off and uh, all in one soup uh, right before we, we in, in LA County got uh, locked down. And, and we got um, laid off, not necessarily due to COVID, but it was uh, impacted because of financial reasons that at the organization, organization we used to work for. Uh, luckily, right, I've always had uh, multiple baskets running around, so I had still teaching and consulting. So I was able to lean on some of those strengths. Uh, but I realized that many, many of my peers, many of my colleagues or people that were just on the same boat um, were not as fortunate or not as privileged as, as I had been this, this past year and change. Uh, also, just like many Americans and many people around the world, right, the, the COVID pandemic hit really hard to home. I, I lost my grandmother and my maternal aunt all within the same week, uh, within the first few weeks of, of the lockdown. and. Since then, uh, it, it's been kind of one um, either uh, health concern, fiscal concern, uh, you know, it, it's just, just a lot of things that we're all going through similarly. Um, and, and I just keep on um, leaning on my wife, leaning on sort of support from my family, knowing that it, it is quote unquote temporary, but it's also um, really nice to know that there's people who, who still care and love about. Uh, what you're going through, and, and I've been able to reconnect with some friends. I've been able to really see who's who's really in your corner, right? Who's really a support, and and that's been a, a really great uh, eye opener and a great uh, support system for for navigating everything that that we're all going through in different instances. Whether you're quote unquote a professor or the student, right? Like like you're, you're we're all going through something that's impacting. Uh, our daily life and personally, professionally. So, you know, there's, there's many of those stories throughout life. Like, uh, um, I, I caught COVID uh, about a month and a half ago, and, and that was really tough on, on my own health. But then my, my worry was more about, you know, my family, how is that going to impact them? And, you know, it, 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 it becomes really primal about what's really essential and what's really necessary in, in one's life. And I think that that has been a a big eye-opener for myself and, and, and a big uh, humbling experience. Um, but I also sort of support and, and toot people's horn who who really leaned on their creativity and their strengths this past year, right? Like, not, not a lot of us were able to just fall back and, 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 and wait, right? A lot of us just took our, our strength and, and made it our, our, our new uh, way of living and, and, and made a, a whole creative way of, of supporting each other. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's been my, my golden nugget for the year, is just be humble and, and, and just lean on your strength. God, God bless you, Dr. Ortiz. And, and you're in my prayers. As, as a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Mr. Jones, before, before you go next, because I know you, you know what, why don't we do this? Mr. Jones is a, is a man of faith, just like I am. Could you offer a prayer up for Dr. Ortiz and his family before you tell us your story? Appreciate it. Oh, sure. Um, is that okay with you, Dr. NJ? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Isaiah knows oh. too, as well, yes. Okay, all right. He surrounds himself with like mind and like spirit people. Yes. Yes, okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. 
So if we could all bow our heads or close our eyes. Dear Lord, we ask you to help and bless everyone that's on this call tonight. We ask you to help and bless the people who are listening. Uh, and uh, allow them to get what they need out of this call tonight. If it's healing, allow them to get healing. If it's information, allow them to get information. If it's inspiration, allow them to get inspiration. But I ask one thing, Lord. I ask one thing of you. Allow them to get transformation. Allow this to change them in in a way that they need to be changed. I ask you to help and bless the doctors on here tonight, Lord. Um, They need transformation also because... We're all going through COVID. We're all going through crisis. We're all going through through political crisis. We're going through uh, we're going through racial crisis. We're going through COVID crisis. All of us are going through this. We're just going through it in different ways. And I ask you to touch them in the way that only you could touch them, in a way that only you can heal them, in a way that only you can transform them. Lord, I ask a special blessing on Isaiah. Isaiah is getting your word out through the way that he knows how to. And I ask you to, to double his seed, double his, his, his harvest, quadruple his harvest, Lord, and, and allow him and tell him that it may not come in money, but it'll come in people. And, and when people come, other things come. Let him know that you're, you're with him in everything that he does and in the way that he does it and help him to be him and nobody else. And I thank you for that. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Now, would you give us the pleasure of hearing your story? Well, my story um, is kind of like everybody else's, but a little different. Uh, when COVID first started, I, I will tell you that I listened to all the news stories and everything that was going on. And uh, we, I really didn't get into it until I knew someone that it hit. So in doing business, I had... <laughs> I had a lot of engagements going on. I was supposed to be in different places in March of 2020, April in 2020, June. I, I had even scheduled out the August and September. And when folks started calling and said, well, uh, we, we probably won't have you. We're not going to have anything. We're canceling. That was kind of devastating. So I had to transform. And I transformed and I, I started doing free classes uh, leading through crisis, how to turn adversity into advantage. And I, I started to pour into people and they started to pour into me. Um, one that I did and uh, is, is out there in California. I did a, a, a group uh, at the, in the, the county of Santa Barbara. So to fast forward um, to 2021, some of those seeds that I planted are, are kind of reaping a harvest. But last month, um, I had COVID and um, I had COVID and my son who was in Mississippi he had COVID back to back so and, and it was kind of 
it didn't hit me as hard as people, as some people, thank God. Uh, it felt like I had a head cold. I kind of lost my taste and, and, um, and I was very, very tired. But for me, I'm a basketball ref. And, and Dr. MJ knows this, basketball in Texas is huge. So I could do a basketball game. I could ref a basketball game seven days a week in Texas somewhere if I wanted to drive. But it kept me away from wrestling for two weeks, which that's how I, I, I was getting my exercise for the most part. That's how I get the most exercise. So it kept me out for two weeks and it kind of had my, my head foggy. So some of the things that I was doing, I was still teaching because I'm in my house, I'm on Zoom, and some of the facts that I was trying to remember wouldn't come back to me. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, I missed the part. So while I was teaching those free classes, there were people on there that said COVID isn't real, and then there was somebody that said I just had eight people in my uh, in my um, family hit by COVID. So it brought those folks together to say it hadn't hit you yet, but it's coming. And, and lo and behold, it did, it did come around. So it was good to put those people together, those people who were skeptics and those people who, who, knew, who knew about it. But this year, um, I, I'm, I haven't gotten my vaccination yet, but I'm going to get one. And I implore everybody to get one. I just, they just haven't hit my number yet, man. So maybe I can hit the lottery here in the next few weeks. What about that? Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, this was another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 73. I'm your host, ID3. Friday's on the third. Our panelists tonight were Montez Jones. Dr. Angelis Ortiz and Dr. MJ. Good night.